0: a podcast spotlighting women who have truly inspiring careers. We're talking about their work journeys, what they've learned from the process of setting aside their doubts or fears, and what happens when they embark on their second life. Today, I'm talking to Mandana Dayan, chief brand officer of the digital estate sale platform, Everything But The House. Some of you might know her from her time as Rachel Zoe's vice president, where she helped launch Zoe's eponymous women's wear collection and was awesome on the Rachel Zoe project on Bravo. But before becoming a brilliant businesswoman, Mandana started out in a totally different profession. She was a lawyer. To me, being a lawyer always seemed kind of like a single track profession, so I couldn't wait to sit down with her and discuss how she knew it was time to leave the firm behind and use her training and skills in a more entrepreneurial way. This is Mandana Dayani on Second Life. So when you first started your career, you started
1: in law. Yes. So was that always the plan to go to law school? I was one of those people who my entire life woke up every morning and thought, I'm going to change the world. And that was just like the way that I operated. And that was the ridiculous amount of pressure I put on myself. But I also grew up in a very traditional Family. So, um, you know, we were immigrants. And so, you know, I moved to America when I was like six. So we were raised like, okay, you can be a lawyer or a doctor, maybe a pharmacist, maybe a dentist. Those were the only options. Y- yes. I think, like, maybe you could work in real estate if you had, like, family means, whatever that meant. I did not. So, yes, those were really my options. And I was like, I don't like blood. I really don't like people's teeth. Um, my brother became a surgeon, so I was going to be a lawyer. And I really wanted to be a senator. That was, like, my dream my entire life was, like, I'm going to be a senator. It's not too late. <clears throat> it's not. I still think about it very regularly. But that's 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 for later. But I want to talk about it. I need people to tell me whether I should do this or not one day. That's third life. Yeah. Um, Yes. <laughs> so um, so I, you know, I loved, I, you know, I, I, I argue, I talk a lot. Um, I, I'm very passionate about protecting people's rights. So I was like, this is the right thing for me. Um, and I always looked up to Ginsburg. Weirdly, I learned about her when I was younger. And I was like, that's who I want to be one day. So, um, so I went to law school.
0: So you went to law school. And I assume the plan was to have a big fancy
1: law job immediately upon graduation. I think so. I I really wanted to go down this track of like working at the Hague or saving the universe. Um, I I went to I went to USC and I got this scholarship. They call it the summer fellowship. They give you a scholarship and they guarantee you a job your first summer at a really big law firm. And um, I got Paul Hastings in Disney, and I got to split my summer. And I fell in love with Paul Hastings, as much as I guess you could fall in love with the law firm. And <laughs> <laughs> um, I summered for another a law firm the following summer, which was a disaster of an experience. And, you know, I really liked the culture at Paul Hastings. And I I didn't really like know what it meant to be a lawyer. I mean, you don't really understand, like, what the day-to-day is going to be. Um, so, yeah, I went back. And that was the job that I took out of law school. And I worked in our— Real estate division working on hotels and like very fancy property developments um was it exciting? No, but <laughs> I mean the work is is like the clients are exciting and but you're so removed from it you're you're one of like you know a hundred lawyers on this big deal, and I'm like a people person, so it's very hard for me to not feel connected to the client um I think what I struggled with the most, I mean, people always ask me, like, why did you leave? Um, It just, it's hard to be in an environment where you don't want your boss's job. Like, I looked at all the partners and I was like, I don't want to be you. And there's just, like, not that much passion. Like, there's this kind of, like, apathy where you work in, like, a big corporate environment. Everyone's like, okay, well, I'm kind of here because this is my job and this is my path. And I'm so passionate about so many things and so many subjects and... It was just hard. I felt like completely caged into this place. And I think what's very interesting for people like me, and I'm a very competitive person, is like in those environments there really is not like a true sense of meritocracy. You're like, I'm a first year associate, and then I'm a second year associate, and then I'm a third year associate. And I'm like, but I want to like I, I want to get there faster. <laughs> um, so you
0: felt constrained by some of the rules that come along so. with the profession.
1: Yeah. I, or at I think, least in
0: that corporate environment.
1: Yes. But mostly it really was just – it wasn't dynamic enough. I didn't feel passionate. I knew – I just – I went from like being this extremely passionate person to, to just like, shit, I don't want to wake up tomorrow. And that's a terrible feeling.
0: Not, not a good thing. Not yeah. something anyone encourages. So how long were you working there before you decided, okay, this is not for me? And then what did you do, like, the moment you woke up and realized, like, I don't want to do this anymore? Even Now that you've gone through law school and you have the yeah. big job, like, what happened then?
1: Well, you know, it's funny because I- – and by the way, I think Paul Hastings was as good as a law firm was ever going to get. And that's what was so hard was like, I love this firm. I love these people. How can I not be happy here? Um, this is like the dream, right? This is literally the American dream. But it And just, what you
0: had worked for for so many years. Yeah.
1: So um, there's that
0: sort of like sunk cost fallacy going on as well. I would imagine it's like you studied it in school. You went to law school. You passed the bar. You got the job. Like you've put so much work into getting there. Than to get there and realize, oh, this isn't what I wanted. That's got to be kind of overwhelming at first.
1: Totally. I was terrified because I had never not known the path. I'd always like worked for the next thing and the next thing mm-hmm. and the next thing. And now I'm like, what, what is, now? I don't even know what next is. I don't even know what I'm like, what weird thing I'm climbing. And, um, And the disappointment that I knew my family would feel like their daughter is a big shot lawyer. And I'm like, I don't really want to do this. And that was really hard for me to face because, you know, you have just like the casual weight of like my family gave up their lives and all their dreams so I could have a good education so I could be a lawyer. And now I'm like, I don't really want to do this. So how would you break it to them? It was really hard because, you know— as, as obvious as it seems, like, I wasn't raised to do what makes me happy. Like, my dad didn't pursue a career that made him happy. Like, you work to support your family and have a stable life. And so to say that I don't like—I'm not happy, they're like, so what? so what? Like, what does that mean? It's a great job. Like, you should be happy that you know you're going to have a job in 10 years. Um, it was really hard to talk and explain to them, like, passion and skill sets. And um, it took a really long time. Um, My husband was really helpful um, in kind of getting them because he obviously – he's not like from my culture and I think he was able to explain to them a little bit what – you know, why this was important and why at that age it was right for me to kind of take a risk. But it it was not an easy conversation and it was a very long time that we spoke about like what this means and, you know, it's – and I think that all gets compounded by the fact that I was raised in a culture and in a world where like – I don't even know what the other jobs are. Like, Right. So you had to have some sort of self-education process, I would imagine. So
0: walk me through this. You wake up. You realize this is not for you. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be a lawyer. What happens next?
1: So my husband, who was I think my boyfriend at the time, was, was really encouraging of you just got to go out there. Just take meetings. I'm like, what do you mean take meetings? He's like <laughs> – and he's right. And I now say this to everyone who asks me this question. But, like, people are so happy to talk about themselves when you're not asking them for a job. And I was like, that's exactly what I want to do. I actually don't even know a job I want. I just want to understand what people do. And there's this weird thing where you go your whole life and you know, like, someone's an architect and someone's an engineer and someone is, a like, in marketing. And, some, and I remember being, like, uh, but I don't know what these jobs are. Like, I don't know what makes <laughs> anyone good at any of these things. And I remember, like— at the time, like Krista Smith at Vanity Fair was like the most famous editor that I knew. And I asked her if she would have lunch with me, and she was so lovely, and of course, said yes. And I was like, Krista, what does an editor do? Like, what do you edit anything? <laughs> like, I don't understand. Like, that sounds so dumb, but I really don't know what anyone does for a living on like Tuesday at 11 a.m. Mm-hmm. Um, And so I started sitting down with all these people. And it's really, you know, I think it requires a lot of self-awareness. But you sit down in in a meeting and you're like, I can do that. I would suck at that. Um, That does not sound really fun. That sounds amazing. And um, I think like a month and a half into these meetings of just finding people that I thought were inspiring, I like fully stalked people. I went down like so many weird LinkedIn rabbit holes and (laughs) emailed friends and was like, do you know anyone who you think has an awesome job? Can I have coffee with them? Um, And you have to be comfortable putting yourself out there like that, which I never was before, really. Um, And then I sat down across this talent agent, um, and he was a commercial talent agent, which I didn't know what that was, but he explained to me. Um, He represents celebrities and does their endorsement deals, so like Jennifer Aniston for Smartwater and Brad Pitt for Tag Heuer. And he had just signed on these fashion clients, and I was the most fashion-obsessed, crazy person you would ever met in a law firm environment. Like, I looked crazy compared to everyone else every day. <laughs> and he said that I, repre- I I just signed on these fashion clients, and I'm starting to represent them, and I'm you know, trying to figure out what kind of deals we can do with them. And I was like, holy crap, that sounds amazing. I had done licensing as a lawyer. I love brands. I love fashion. I can do any deal for these people. Like, that's what I want to do. And I was like, can I come work for you on Monday? And he's like, what do you mean? And I said, he's
0: (laughs) like, I'm not really
1: hiring anybody. And I said, I know, but you don't have to pay me. Like, I just want to come in on Monday. I'm going to see how I can help. I want to see what you guys do. Like, just think of, like, the, um, you know, most valuable intern you could ever bring on. And he was like, okay. Um, And so I just showed up at his office on Monday and I was wearing these, like, really high-heeled Alaya boots and this, like, patent leather Porsum jacket. I don't know what I was wearing.
0: So, you, but. but you were really feeling, like, your fashion
1: side then. You could let it out in a way that maybe you could not at the law firm? Totally. Mm-hmm. I remember, and I just posted this the other day, I remember it's the worst advice I ever got in my life as a partner at the law firm. Actually, not that law firm, the other law firm that I summered at, who pulled me aside and said, you know, you really need to do a better job of blending in. And I was like, Huh? And he said, you know, just not so great to stick out so much in these environments. He's like, I'm just looking out for you. And I was like, that's really the worst advice anyone has ever given me in my entire life. But it's also when I realized, like, this is just not right for me.
0: Um, So you show up. You look fashionable. You have just walked into this job that doesn't exist. And what happens? (laughs)
1: I – so I start listening in on his calls and, like, going through the roster of clients and, you know, I asked – I started printing out some of the endorsement deals and licensing deals and um, just started, like, familiarizing myself with them. But, like, once you understand a contract, it's – there. I mean, there are variances but not too many. And so you – I'm like, OK. Yeah, I, I can do this. This is great. And Rachel Zoe was one of his clients and I, you know, knew Rachel obviously and I loved Rachel and she'd, you know, just been on the Bravo show and I'm like – oh, my God, like, this is Rachel's, this. And it's amazing what you can do with Rachel. And, you know, she's this, like, crazy, full-of-life character. And I just remember thinking, like, this this is the future. Like, this is, I see it. I know what we're going to build. Um, you know, there were a couple of other clients, like Daphne Guinness and Poenza School. They were so cool, but I just was, like, so, like, I just saw Rachel, and I was like, this is it. This is what I, I need to work with her. And, you know, I just was like, I'm going to add value until... This guy tells me that I can stay, and that eventually happened, which was great.
0: So then, what happens? How did you go from working at a, with a at a commercial talent agency to making the leap and going to work with Rachel?
1: So I was one of the agents that worked on the licensing deal for her collection. And that I think that deal took about six months to close. And in that time, I, you know, became very close to Rachel. We worked together really closely. I helped build all of her decks. And it was like, I, it was just, I had such clarity around what this collection needed to be and what I felt like the future with her was. And I just overworked myself. But it was just came from, like, so much passion and so much heart. And I remember, like— just making myself indispensable to her. And I was like, I need to become, and you know, she didn't have like a, a big team then. So I was just like, whatever you need, just ask me to do, it, and I'll just do it <laughs> on my free time. And I just volunteered to do everything and just showed up at her shoots and just was like, I'm going to be the most helpful person you've ever met in your life. And um, when we signed the deal, she just looked at me and said, Are you going to come do this? And I was like, Obviously. Uh-uh. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I remember going to their house and sitting with Rachel and Roger, and I was like, yeah, we're doing this. And they were like, are you ready to launch like a, you know, a huge fashion brand? And I'm like, yeah, of course. I mean, literally had no idea what I was doing, but they were not going to know that. So I was like, of course I'm going to do this. And she was pregnant, and I was like, yeah, I got I got this, Rachel. You hang out. Like, I'm going to go do this. And I, like, think a week later, like, flew to New York and shacked up there for, like, over a month and started hiring designers and putting together a brand book and figuring out our product. I mean it was like – and then all of a sudden I was producing a fashion show and producing our TV show and it was like uh, I was just in the middle of it. How did you know how to do any of that stuff? I believe, as I always have in every weird leap I've made in my career and as we continue to talk, you'll see how many of them there are, that I'm just like fully guided by common sense. And that's how I hire. I believe that people that are passionate and just have common sense will figure things out. I don't believe in hiring – I don't believe that expertise and like relevant experience is more important.
0: So it's more about hustle.
1: Yes, but that was part of, like, the scrappiness of being an immigrant. You're just like, figure this shit out. And I'm like, okay. Like, I didn't have, like, an uncle that went to Yale that was going to, like, help me write anything. Like, didn't speak English. Like, didn't have any means. But you're like, okay, I'm here. Like, some it's got to happen one way or another. Um, and you just kind of hustle. And you are scrappy. And I'm a really scrappy person. And I'm really resourceful. And I can kind of convince people to do things. And I think those are the, the, like, superpowers that come together when when you make a big leap of faith. And I think when you're so passionate about something, like, you're just going to make it work. I also think something
0: that's interesting about the way that you speak about this is, like, you have this really entrepreneurial spirit. And it's something where you feel – when you feel passionately about something, you work like it's your own. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that's so incredibly valuable to employers and to people who are hiring and people who would take a chance on you even though you didn't necessarily have, like, the traditional background in something. And that really comes through. But that's not necessarily an innate skill. I mean, I yeah. think, you know, I – I had to learn how to become more resourceful throughout my career at different points. And, you know, I think a lot of times something that people struggle with is they hit a dead end and then they just stop. They don't know what the next step is. They don't know what other questions to ask. They don't know how to move things forward. And that's something that you keep doing.
1: I think that because I believe in myself so much – that I make others believe in me. And I think that, you know, a lot of times when I talk to people, you, I, I look at them and I'm like, but you don't believe that you can do this. Why would I believe that you can do this? Like, don't sit in that chair and just be like, I don't know. What am I supposed to do? Um, and I I, I've just never believed that there was something I couldn't figure out. I like that. Very resourceful. What was the full scope of what you did with her? <laughs> you were her vice president. Yeah. Um, So she was the CEO. Roger was the president. I was the vice president. Um, So I, you know, initially joined to launch the Rachel Zoe collection um, and then kind of build out the team that would be the Rachel Zoe collection. And then, you know, the Zoe report was growing and I was involved with the Zoe report. And then I was producing our TV show and I was kind of on the TV show. And then I, like, you know, we did their book, which was really fun for me, because I'd never done that before. And then we launched, you know, we kept launching these businesses. And then I was also like managing her lawyers and her agents and all of her licensing and endorsement deals. So it was a lot. Um, and I think that for someone like me, who just constantly needs to learn and evolve, it was the best experience possible, because it just never felt like I'm in maintenance mode. You know, it felt like every year, there was like this new thing I was learning this new exciting challenge. And I think that is one of the best things about Rachel, which is that she's such an entrepreneur. Like you go to Rachel and you have an idea for a business and she's like, totally, let's do it. And that's so rare to have someone like that. And I think when you take that from, from, you know, someone you get to work with to just her like passion. I mean, like she's so passionate about like sequins to like her tea to her husband and like everything I mean like everything like her passion for like what she does is so infectious and you realize like how important that is it's so rare to work for someone that puts in the time and investment and priority in their relationships and I, I remember just looking at her marriage and being like holy shit that they are so in it. And I, if my marriage could be like that, it would be amazing. And she's such a present mother. And I think when you think of someone like her who has had so much success, you don't think that they're going to have like these great marriages and these fantastic children. But she, Somehow did it, and I think that was really helpful for me as I was thinking of starting a family. Like, okay, well, then I can do it. I can have kids, and I can, like, love my husband a lot and work my ass off. And <laughs> You can uh, have it all. <laughs> I mean, to some extent. not. I mean, you can have a lot of like, 80%.
0: <laughs> I always say having it most. Yeah. Most is all I need. Yeah. All is pressure. Most is good. Most okay. is great. That's
1: so- actually really good. I'm going to steal that one.
0: Great. It's yours. <laughs> <laughs> so
1: what was the most
0: important thing that you learned from her?
1: Trust her gut. Rachel operates entirely on gut, um, and I think I that's like a skill you 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 acquire over time. And I I think it's something you know I'm such like a type A person that I always feel like there's a right answer, and if I research it, I will find it. Um, <laughs>
0: We're very similar in that way.
1: <laughs> yeah. So it sometimes it's hard when your gut doesn't go and is, is like not aligned with what you think the right answer is supposed to be. And I felt like if I didn't have the right answer, then people wouldn't like me, which is like a And it's very hard for me to be vulnerable, which I am working on. Um, (laughs) But, yeah, I think that was a a really important lesson for me. Like it may not seem right, but it doesn't matter. If it doesn't feel right, don't do it.
0: I often found that when Catherine and I first started the company, we would have moments of that where someone would be offering us an opportunity. And on paper, it seemed great, but it just didn't add up or there just wasn't – something wasn't right about it. And every time – We went ahead with something anyway because we're like, oh, like, God, who listens to that? Like this on paper, this is a smart thing on paper and it never worked out quite the way we wanted it or it would be problematic and we would just look at each other and say like, okay, we're not doing that anymore. It has to really feel right and that became a very important guiding principle along with just being sort of like pragmatic about things and just figuring stuff out and having common sense. I think that's the most underrated business skill. Oh my god, that yes. no one talks about. Where it's like, have an MBA. That's amazing. I love education. I'm all for it. But really, like the most important thing in business is common sense.
1: That's uh, that's literally what I hire for. It's like the most important thing. I mean, it's and it's funny. I used to run like our intern program at Rachel's. O because I just ca- I, I just feel like people don't take the time to nurture the younger talent that's coming up. like People don't give them honest feedback. And I was like, you know what? Many people are not going to sit you down in a room and tell you the things that you need to improve, but here you go.
0: Yes. Things had gone really well with Rachel. You've done all of these amazing projects. <laughs> and then at some point you decided to leave again. Yes. What happened in
1: your head that you're like, okay, I'm ready for the next adventure? So I'm really bad at taking time for myself. Like I never go on vacations. I can't like – see my facialist ever. Taipei, Um, Taipei, Taipei. Right. Um, (laughs) So I had a baby and the world like forced me to take time off. Um, And maternity leave is so important and everyone should take it. Um, But it really kind of reset me as a human. Like I felt like all these priorities in my life shifted and – I just fell so in love with this little human and I had all this time to reflect about myself and who I was becoming and there were things about myself that I didn't love as much as I thought I should and um, I think I felt a lack of enthusiasm about the fashion industry. I think I, it was like, okay, I'm not – I think the the business of fashion um, needs to adjust to like the world. Um, and it, I just remember like the frustration I would feel dealing with, um, retailers on a regular basis and like FedEx, who's like your arch nemesis. Yep. Um, and I just, you know, and, and the same time while we were working on the ZO report and these digital properties, I just saw so much growth and so much movement and so much momentum and things are just, ha- you know, every day you're learning something new and the world's evolving. And I just remember feeling like, okay, that. I need – I don't know enough about that. And whenever I feel like I don't know enough about something, I just – Get like these little like antlers go up, and I'm like, oh, I got to figure this out. Um, so you
0: run towards it. Always, most people would be like, I don't know, I'm going to stay in my lane. No, that I know how to do. You're like, get me out of my lane. I'm going to go run towards this thing that I don't know.
1: Yeah, because it terrifies me. When something terrifies me, <laughs> do you bungee jump? Do you do no. do you
0: do scary things in real life or just no? Like I'm emotionally like this weirdly like Jewy,
1: scared person who's like very risk averse. I think this is where I take risks. Um, so, no, I, I was like, OK, like I need I mean, I know it on to some extent through, through this property that we helped build. But I need to know this like, much more deeply and um, in a way that I don't really know it. But I still kind of eased into it. I took a million meetings again and started that whole process of like what's out in the universe. And so
0: in, in between, you take these big chunks of like just figuring it out.
1: Yes. I mean, but i was still working with Rachel. But yes, I was taking a lot of meetings. mm -hmm. I was trying to learn about like, what is happening in tech? Who are these people? I mean, I knew some, but I was getting much more involved with like founders and female founders and um, the VC community. And there were so many businesses that were kind of like disrupting the world as we know it. And I thought that was the coolest thing I'd ever heard of. I started realizing like, this is, this is what I don't know enough of. And Mm -hmm. this is where I see the future of like, the world, and, and that's where I want to spend my time.
0: Okay. So how did you get connected with everything but the house? <laughs> and also, you have to explain. Like, I know what a chief brand officer is because know. we have one, but I realize that might be something that not everyone who's listening to this knows exactly what that means. So maybe walk everyone through yeah. the company
1: and what you do. So a chief brand officer, I actually have learned means something very differently at almost every company that has one. Um, so, I'll tell you what I do. I so, I joined um everything but the House, which is like the world's biggest online estate sale marketplace. So there's you know about a thousand employees around the country that help um people with their estate sales, and everything is taken from the house sent to a central distribution facility and um, processing facility, and then everything is put on the site as an auction. So you can, like, literally shop everything in a house from a car to a salt shaker to, like, rare art and collectibles and fashion. Um, and no one has ever done that before. There never been, like, an online estate sales. Um, no, and, it was very, very localized and very analog. Like, you had to show up at 4 in the morning right, which at no this one wants place to in do. Palm Springs, or, or you miss it. And I think – and really the business was – their founders were, were just wanted to figure out a way to make this a better process for the sellers because the sellers are usually dealing with some form of transition in their lives, whether they're moving or they're dealing with a family estate or a divorce or downsizing or anything. And like they don't want to do all of this. They don't want to list the stuff themselves. They don't want a bunch of random people coming through their house. And like why would you expose these items to like your one-mile radius of people when there's people in – you know. 200 countries that want to buy them so um the business model i mean the business was really interesting to me and um what does what a chief brand officer do? I uh, <laughs> so my, I joined the company to actually help like build the brand. Like, what does the brand for EV teach mean? Um, what what do we want to? What is the space that we want to capture? What do we want our sellers and our buyers to feel and experience? And once I developed the brand, um, the first task I think was really building all the consumer facing teams. Um, so everything from like merchandising and marketing and partnerships to PR and social and the art team and the copy team and. Um, putting together kind of what is social media, like all of these things that have never really been articulated for EBTH and building the teams and hiring them and managing them. And then it really became I think the most important job is working with the leadership team to establish the vision and the mission of the company. And once you kind of agree on that – then you are the person that holds the whole company accountable to it. So you work cross-functionally with every department and you make sure that they are meeting whatever the requirements are of your vision and your mission. So whether you sit with customer service and rework and rewrite customer service to rewriting what your merchandising policy is to what does the site experience feel like to packaging, to pickups, to in-home services, to the sales team. I mean everything kind of has to meet um, the requirements of what like you – I mean everything is brand, so – um, so it's like the brand identity across everything in some way, you're also like quality control. I mean, mm-hmm. you're also you're you're in charge of like global awareness. So you manage all the consumer teams and making sure that you're building awareness and building brand affinity with people, and your retention is high, and your customers are happy. So there's that side of your job. But you also somehow become like quality control. So everything new that's launched, You know, the chief brand officer kind of has to oversee to make sure that the launch meets brand standards Mm -hmm. and works. And so you're launching all these random things because you're working with all these different teams. Um, But you are really responsible for making sure that your company is living up to whatever the standards are that you've set, and that requires like a lot of cross-functional work, which is fun. Um, You know, building like a seamless brand when you have a thousand employees is is very not. Easy. That was not very good English, but it's very difficult. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's 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 really challenging and really exciting. So one thing that I
0: think that I love asking people about because No one teaches you how to be a boss. No one teaches you how to build a team. Not really. You can see how other people have done it, but when it comes to you and structuring and hiring and managing those teams, it's really a a solo journey in many ways. Mm -hmm. Um, You can be advised, but ultimately it has to come down to what your instincts are and how you want to sort of guide the ship. What are the most important things to you when you're hiring or managing someone?
1: I really gauge – Gut um, and common sense. And I'm not joking. I, I, those are the things that I look for the most. And and I, But, like, how do you hire for common sense?
0: <coughs> um, everything Is there from, a common sense quiz that you give them?
1: Sometimes. I do a <laughs> lot of weird, like, personality tasks. I'll ask them, like, what kind of TV do you watch? I ask them, like, very weird questions, like, what do you do for fun? Um, I have them meet with at least four people on my team to make sure that, like, it's everyone – yeah, but also buy-in, right? I don't want it to be, like, this universe that I built. Like, I want it to be what we built. I want everyone on the team to feel like they had a say in who they got to see every single day in the office because I think it's our team. It's not my team. That was really important for me. Common sense is everything. It's from, like, how they show up on time, how they carry themselves, what their resume looks like, what kind of questions they ask. Like, I think I have just, like, a pretty good gut on who I think Um We'll just hustle and, and they tell you, like the hustlers will tell you, like, I just don't care. Like, I just want to do this. I believe in this so much and they're so passionate and they just want to make it work and they're selling you so hard and they've researched everybody at the company and they know everything about the business and they prepared. It wasn't like something they applied on LinkedIn. um And, and that stuff goes a really long way for me. Um, and... I think I try to be really honest with the team. I give them a lot of feedback. I let them lead. I let them own their space. I let them, you know, I try not to overstep because I do think it's important for them to grow and manage their own stuff and really instilling a work-life balance. I think when I worked in fashion, I felt like life was so consumed by it, Um, and that's very normal for the industry. I think I realized People are happier when they're balanced, and work is better, and people are less resentful, and they burn out a lot less quickly. And so, so um, what, what does that look like for you? I don't. I I really trust our team. Like, you want to take a vacation? Like, you're a big girl, take, or a big boy? Like, take your vacation, you're going to be fine. Um, you need to go home. Like, you don't need to ask me permission if you need to do this. If you won't, there's like a yoga class you have to take, that's fine. But like, if your work is getting done. And it's getting done very well. I'm not going to ask you too many questions about, like, where you are at certain times of the day. I think when people know what the expectations are and you kind of let them do it on their own, they tend to work a lot better. But I'm like – you know, I remember working at a law firm. You just – you did not own your own time. Like, someone could come to you at 5 o'clock and say, OK, we're going to work on this all weekend. And you're like, but it's my best friend's wedding and they don't care at all because their client is paying you a lot of money. Um and I don't believe in that. I don't. I think you should feel like you own your own time. I think you should feel like you can look forward to a vacation that is not going to get canceled. Uh, feeling like you own your own time as a human being is, is really important. Do you practice
0: what you preach? Do you own your own time? Yes. Do you take vacations?
1: I do more than I ever did. Yes. Do you go to yoga? No, but I suck at working out. <laughs> um but so you've
0: built this for yourself as
1: well yeah and that was a huge part of this leap for me that i took um this the first
0: time in your life that you really feel balanced in that way
1: yeah and i think you know working at a company that is like very deeply rooted in like midwest values and family and everyone was so respectful of um you know yes we know it's dinner time we're not going to bother you because there really is no reason to bother me during that time like i'm
0: well, I always say um, a failure to plan on your part does not constitute an emergency on my part.
1: That's yes, not, that doesn't
0: that doesn't always work no, in this but, day and age. But I do think that sometimes there's a thing where it's like, well, you need to start asking those questions earlier in the day. You can't call me at you know seven p.m. And I mean, yes, you can. It happens. But yeah. you know, if everyone just took a minute to plan. In advance, and to be respectful of, I try not to contact my team outside of office hours unless it's an emergency or something really important. I try to respect that these are there's plenty of time in a day to ask people the questions that you need to ask them.
1: Oh my god, yes, right? And you know, it, I mean, it sounds so corny, but like you're so accessible. I mean, I have like a phone and a computer and that, like. There's no reason why I can't go home and give my kids their dinner, bathe them, and then work when they go to sleep. They go to sleep at like 7 o'clock. I mean it's not that deep, right? (laughs) I mean I can go to an event after. I can work later. I can get on the computer. But there are certain times in my life or of the day that are mine. And learning to set those boundaries and learning to say no – was so scary for me I mean that was that was the biggest challenge of my life was not being perfect and like I'm such a pleaser when it comes to work so if someone asks me to do something like, my answer is always like yes times a thousand like I'm want to do it better than <laughs> anyone ever did it so you want me to go to, away for four days I'll go away for 10 days and now I'm like no I have a kid I'm going for two days and don't worry I'll get it all done um that was really that was really 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 hard for me but I think I'm so much better at my job I'm so much more efficient I don't waste time I know what I I need to get done. It's, it's, it's awesome.
0: Okay, good. I
1: love all of that.
0: I also feel like there's something about the – there's that saying, if you want something done, give it to the busiest person you know. hundred percent. And I think there's something too with like when you have um, a family, interests outside of work, a life, other things yeah. going on, yeah. then you're more likely to be efficient with your time when you're in the office. It's like sometimes there's like this cult of oh, you have to stay in the office for, you know, 20 hours in a row to be taken seriously. It's like, no, we're not going to be giving high-quality work that whole time, probably. Yeah.
1: Of course. But also, you know, it's – to your point, it's – so much of what you take seriously about people is the quality of their work. Like, did you proofread it? Um, to just – their ability to to contribute. Like, offer to help if something falls. I always say this in terms like, if something falls, just – pick it up. Like if someone's working late, offer to help them. Like there are just little things. And I I always say this to interns, people notice everything. I know who's late. I know who leaves early. I know who offers to help. I know who contributes. I know who's like nagging. I notice everything and everyone in this office knows everything. And if you don't necessarily like you need to know that you're always on a job interview. Like, you're always being evaluated. And not just by me, who may hire you in the future, but all of these people in this room are going to go do really cool things. Like, they're not going to work here forever. Like, this person's going to go run a magazine, and that person's going to run a production company. And they're going to remember you, too. And so just take it seriously. Like, this, every one of these moments is an opportunity for you to show people how awesome you are. And that that's all I ever... Like, that's literally how I operated, and people kind of found that out and were like, I want to hire you because you seem like you work really hard. And it's, like, cool to work really hard.
0: (laughs) One of the things that I also think is really encouraging about people taking leaps in their careers is that I always say the skills that you learn at your first job or in your first industry, you can transfer them. Like, it's not like – you can only use them in this one industry and, like, that multitasking has no other use outside of this one or – these one or two professions. Like, you can transfer these skills to all of these different industries. So on that note, what are some of the things that you learned or honed as a lawyer that you still use to this day?
1: Can I say a couple of things on that? Yes. So one is, like – Everyone does not need to go to law school. And I get to ask this question more than any other question in my life. Like, I don't believe everyone needs to go to law school. It should not be, like, this, like, safety belt, like, that you've built for yourself. It's, it's like, fine to not go. Um, if you go to law school, it's an amazing education. I don't think you gain that much from law school if you don't practice. For me, like, law school was, like, awesome. But really the skill sets I got happened as a lawyer. Um, in law school, you learn to think critically, I've been told. Um which is great, um, but it's not, like, so applicable. It really, like, when you go to a law firm, you learn not just, like, how to be very detail-oriented and meticulous and you understand, like, a contract, which is really important no matter where you are because you are never going to not need to know how to do that. Um, You learn how to work with people. You understand an office environment. But more than anything, you you get your ass kicked. And I know that sounds weird, but that is so important because – you are set up to work harder and better than everyone else. And I remember going into any environment – because I had that corporate background, I was like, I will outwork all of these people. like, And I just knew that I could, right? I mean, you you work so hard. You don't complain. You know how to be accountable. The quality of work you have to produce is perfect. I mean, no one will accept, like, proofing errors. You you know, like, a missed comma in a contract could mean, like, the end of everything for for your clients. So, I mean, whether you become, like, a talent agent or something where all you're doing is negotiations to, like, if you want to go work in fashion, there just aren't many people that think. That way. So the way you approach problems, the way you think about them, your ability to predict where the issues are going to be because that's how you learn to think as a lawyer. It's like you, you can anticipate all the issues that the, the world can throw at you and be able to solve for them um, thing missing because I think all these people have all the skill sets they need. They just have to like know they can do it. I love that. That's really inspiring. It sounded deep. I did not, I mean, where did that come from?
0: I don't know, but it, you were just channeling something very honest, and I appreciate that. That was Mindana Dayani, Chief Brand Officer of Everything But The House. Thanks, guys, for listening to this episode of Second Life. For more interviews with inspiring women like Mandana, who have taken the leap to pursue their passions and do cool stuff, visit MyDomain.com. We want to know who you'd like to hear from on the show. So shoot us an email at mydomain.com, or you can DM me at Hillary Kerr on Instagram. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and rate us and review us. Hopefully you'll say nice things. I'm Hillary Kerr, and you've been listening to Second Life by mydomain.com.